Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad finishes his sermon series called Return and Rebuild as he shares what repentance is and why it is necessary. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Good morning, Impact Church. How are you doing? We're actually going to land the plane of our Ezra series today. So we are going to have our final wrap-up series after some three months uh, here going through God's Word um, expositionally. And we come to the end of Ezra, and we're actually going to link chapters 9 and 10 together today. They're speaking through the same scenario, the same concept, so I was going to be a lot of repetition this week and next week if I divided chapter 9 and chapter 10, so I feel like the Lord is just leading me, put it all together, and let's give the context. So we got a lot to get through, so we're going to get diving in. And to open it up, I want us to think about something that maybe we're all familiar with because it's going to relate metaphorically to what we're speaking about today. And we're all familiar with what can happen in our bodies with infection, aren't we? If bacteria gets in and infection sets in, man, bad things can happen. And it's not something to be ignored, is it? I mean, mild light infections, maybe most times your body can tolerate. It'll ramp up a fever, kill the bacteria, whatever. But if it doesn't, intervention is necessary. And we must move to stop the spread of the infection. Why? Because it'll lead to greater damage and even death. So just like we wouldn't leave infection in our physical body, God doesn't want us to leave infection in our spiritual body, our soul, our life that's to be for him. And that infection, of course, that we're talking about is sin, and especially living in unrepentant sin. Because it leads to death. You know, we, we preach every week here in a way that I heard a pastor say years ago, and I think it's perfect, is I want to preach in a way that the Word of God goes from your head to your heart to your hands. And that's how it should be done. We want to present God's Word in a way, man, that it really makes us stop. That it really makes us kind of look at who we are, what we're doing, and we see His truth. And then that knowledge moves to our heart and gets downloaded in a way that we can apply it. And then through that, it goes to our hands where we actually are doers of God's word. Because I'm going to be honest, guys, this is more than just knowledge gaining. I hope you didn't come to church today just for a knowledge gaining experience. But rather a way to apply God's word to your life so that it can affect you and others around you. What good is it if we learn really deep, good theological truths, but we never apply them or live them out? What a shame that would be. What good does it do the lost people in Forest, in Lynchburg, at your work, on your ball teams, at your school? What good would it do all the lost people if they never saw Christ lived out in you? So, There's where our application part's going to come in today. 
we're going to learn some context, some theological explanation. But it must be applied so that we can move forward in what God has for us and others through his word. So as we dive in today, we want to look and really prayerfully ask the Lord, Lord, what is there maybe in me, maybe in in my life that Lord still needs to be removed so that I can look more like Christ, less like the world, giving into your will and less to my will so that you can be glorified. Let's pray that today as we dive into God's word. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we're here today for you and only by you and through you. And Lord, we're here to bring you glory, to praise you, to worship you. But Lord, also to hear from you. Lord, through your word, as your spirit speaks and guides us and maybe puts fingers on things in our life that maybe are uncomfortable, the Lord You want them removed like a splinter that could cause infection and lead to greater damage. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today like only you can do. And that, Lord, that splinters and infection would be removed in our hearts and lives. Father, that we could step closer to you. Lord, that we would understand this word called repentance and what that is, why it's necessary. And then ultimately what it really looks like. Because, Lord, it's not explained well in churches across our world today. It's not even talked about. So, Lord, help us hear your word. And, Lord, not only just be hearers of the word, but doers, Father, as we surrender our hearts to you. We give you all the glory for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a copy of God's word, you can turn to Ezra chapter 9 and 10. And don't worry, we're not going to read the whole passage for the sake of time, but we're going to, like we did the past couple weeks, bring out the portions that lead us into what God wants to teach us today. So let's go ahead and read in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, right there together. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment, this is Ezra speaking, and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my beard, of my head and beard, and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the, of the God of Israel assembled to me, Because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. So here we have Ezra coming on the scene and he's being notified about something. That something's wrong. Something's going on. There's infection, if you will, in the land of God's people. 
So we know that Ezra has come here for what purpose? Why did he even come? For spiritual rebuilding of God's people. To get them on track with Jesus. Remember, the temple's built. Why do he have to come? The work's done. But here he comes. Why? Because he has a different mission. Not to build a building, but to build people according to God's word. So he already knew the spiritual condition of this post-exile community was bad. And here it is made extremely evident in their failure to separate from the pagan people, from the idolatrous people that populated the region. So basically their failure, what we're going to see to separate themselves by doing intermarriage with these pagan people who had idols and did not worship God was against God's word. Why? We're going to look at that, all right, specifically. And it goes back to context and what God's trying to, to point out here as sin is in the camp. So with this intermarriage, they basically are forsaking their Jewish community, all right, as God's people. And if anything else, they are agreeing with or at least tolerating the culture that's going against God. There's the sin, all right? Aligning themselves with an idolatrous, non-godly culture and people. There's the sin, all right? Here's what Ezra and the people that were committed to God's word knew. If this continued, if this was allowed to stay, if this infection was allowed to just, ah, it's all right, just a little something, it's going to grow into a big something because any tolerance away from God is eventually in generations to come going to lead people away from the truth where they're living more like the world and less like God would have them. Does that sound familiar today to anybody? The more we tolerate sin, especially amongst God's people, the church, the more we deviate away from God's word as the generations continue. That's why it's imperative that we deal with sin and we preach on it and we preach God's word so it can be taken care of. That's what Ezra's about to do. We don't come at sin in a condemning way to make people feel like they're worthless or, or they're a failure. That is not it. We come with the truth in love so that God's hand can touch them and say, hey, like a loving heavenly father, you're on the wrong path. Here's an exit ramp. Why don't you get off before you feel some of the pain and destruction that this lifestyle is going to bring you? That's what God wants us to do. And, and we're going to have to be bold. We're going to have to stand on truth. We're going to have to speak truth and speak it in love, not condemning, not beating people over the head with the Bible and tell them how worthless they are. No, that's not it. That's not how Jesus would do it. Jesus would bring truth, and he would bring it in a loving way that would convict. And he would tell, like he said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. There was no condolence for sin or, or excuse for sin, like, oh, it's okay. That's not God's word. But it was remove it. Go and sin no more. So here's what Ezra comes on the scene, and here's what he's going to have to deal with. If you look at Romans, I'm sorry, Romans, where did I get that? Ezra chapter 9. Man, I'm, I'm way off here. If you look at Ezra chapter 9, especially in the first two verses, you see, and if you have a, a Bible um, that is kind of a, a teaching Bible, you will see something called footnotes, all right? 
and footnotes are in your Bible to bring you back to other passages that are not specific to this passage, that are not in this passage, but bring you context for that passage, okay? So they give you understanding as to what's going on. So that is very necessary in this. So we see the context here. Because if you look in those footnotes, and they'll give you deeper meaning and understanding of this passage, they're going to point you to a couple other passages in the Mosaic Law, all right, in the Law of Moses against the intermarriage. And then we're going to go deeper and find why. What was the purpose of this? Because it's more than just that they were foreign, they were from another nation, they were looked different. That wasn't it. That's not why God wanted this to be separate. It goes back to their heart, their idolatry, okay? So we're going to see that. So Ezra's on the scene. He, re, he remembered what got the people here in the first place, right? What got them where they're at? What brought them into Babylonian captivity for 70 years that now they had to even be exiled back to Jerusalem? What was it? It was idolatry. It was deviating from God's word and then not listening to God's word when all, the, when all the prophets, when all God's men would try to say, hey, repent, turn, or God's hand of wrath is coming. Remember all that? So they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. So God finally said, all right. And Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene, crushes the, the whole uh, temple uh, area of Jerusalem, takes some of the people into captivity, and we are where we are. Ezra knew that. He said, man, and so in a way he's thinking, are you kidding me? You're going right back to the same problem you had before that caused the same problem that God just got you out of. How many times can we testify to that? I don't know about you, but I'm stubborn. Are you stubborn? Don't look at your husbands, all right? So, hey, man, sometimes we're so stubborn, and we often just run back to the things that are comfortable that we knew, that, and, and, and what's natural, what what's feels good for us while we're in our human bodies is flesh and sin. And so they ran back to that. It was comfortable. It was a, maybe they did it maybe innocently at the time. Well, there's nobody else here. Might as well take this person and take this person. She's, she looks good. Hey, how about you? You know, whatever the case may be. But then God knew where it would lead. So that's why he wanted his people to be separate. Because just a little yeast will ruin the whole batch of dough, won't it? What the New Testament told us. So God knows that. So in, here's Ezra. Also knowing the God's, where God's people have been, where they come from, he's also what? He was a scholar in the Torah, all right? And some of y'all be like, Torah, man, what's that? I don't know what that is. You mean, you mean Toro? You mean, is that like the, what the God says when the bull comes? No, Torah, that, that means bull, okay? This is Torah. It's the five, first five books of the Old Testament, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He was a scholar in the Torah, if you look back at what scholars were back then, they often had the Torah memorized. Sometimes even before they're a teenager. Get you some of that. Can you imagine that? So Ezra knew God's word. He knew what he had already spoken, and he was going to bring it to the people. So as you look at this passage that we just read in Ezra chapter 9, I want you to, 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 to look at two things really specifically that are going to help bring us in this context. One is you're going to circle or underline or whatever you got there, the words holy seed, 
holy seed. If you're reading the NIV, the ESV, or the New uh, Living Translation, NLT, then you're going to see it say holy race, okay? And then, also in that passage, circle or underline the word trespass. We may understand that a little more. Again, if you're reading another version, it may say unfaithfulness or faithlessness. We know what trespass is. What's that? Sin. All right, it's falling short of God's glory. We've come in against what God wants us to do. So there's the real heart of this, all right? And it's a pretty strong word there for unfaithfulness or faithlessness because it basically means an abandonment of the faith. Guys, isn't that what we do when we sin? Think about it. You know, we try to justify sin, excuse sin, kick some dirt on it, make sure eh, it's not that big of a deal, it's just a little something, right? But sin is sin, and, and what sin is, is an abandonment of God's word. It's an abandonment of our faith, albeit temporary maybe, but it's a saying, hey, especially if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you know what God's word says, but eh, I'm going to kind of do what I want to do right now for just a minute, God. I'm going to tell this person off real quick while I got a chance, <laughs> right? Or, uh, you know, it's late at night. I've had a bad week, man. Everything's going wrong, and I, man, I, I, just, I, I just need a little something. I just need a little, I just need a little hit. I just need a little high. I need a little buzz. I need that, I just, I just need an extra glass of that. You know what I'm saying? I, I, just, I just need a little something. And we deviate from what God really wants us to do because he wants to be there. He wants to, to be put in place to fill that void. But sin creeps in. All right? So sin is really an abandonment of God and his word. All right? That's how serious sin is. So going back to context. What does God want? What is Ezra about to tell him? He's calling God's, he's going to call God's people to be separate from sin and idolatry. That's what he's calling them to, all right? And it's going to be done through making them separate from the people that are causing problems in God's holy seed, all right? We're going to explain that just a little bit. So Ezra, knowing where they've been, hey, guys, you're going right back to where you were before. This ain't going to turn out well. You better repent. You better come back right now, okay? So if you look at that word um, that's in the NIV, ESV, or ENLT says race, it actually is better translated seed. That's why it says seed in the New King James, in the King James Version, all right? It's the Hebrew word zarah, and it's an, actually it's a planting term for the word seed. So you're actually thinking about planting a new beginning, a new start. When you get that concept of that word now and you say, hey, it's messing up God's holy seed, what do you go back to? If you know God's word, you go back to Abraham, don't you? In the covenant God make with Abraham for what? Called him to leave what? His country, leave his family, leave his father's house, go to the land he would tell him. Why? God was gonna make him the father of what? Many nations. It's going to make him the father of God's people. All right, now, so you're thinking seed, all right? That's, a, that's his son. That's going to be some, something come through. Who is that son that would have to come forth? Isaac, through Sarah, who was barren. Remember, Abraham got frustrated, and Sarah said, man, it's taking too long. They took matters in their own hands. They said, we'll have our own. Ishmael, through, uh, through the, all right, right, sin. Through, through um, adultery, basically, let's be honest, okay? Through sin. Tried to take matters in their own hands. God's like, nope, that's not it, okay? It's what I'm going to do through your barren wife, Sarah, when you have a child. And that's going to be the seed for God's people. So it goes against 
everything in this covenant that God made with Abraham, all right? And what was it about? Was it just about just the, 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 the Israelite, just as a people? No, it was about separating themselves from idolatry, all right? We're going to go back to that. So let's look at that. Let's go back to kind of those footnotes we talked about. If you look at some of those footnotes, it's going to point you to Deuteronomy chapter 7. It may point you to Exodus 34 and maybe some other passages. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 7 and get this context. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. All right? When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Sound familiar? Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, here we go, you ready? You shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. Oh, come on. You shall make no covenant with them. Is marriage a covenant? Mm-hmm. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make, here we go, let's get specific. If you didn't think covenant was a part of what he's talking about with marriage. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. Why? Just because God hates those people? Just because they look different? Just because they talk different? Or just because they're from a different nation? Is that why? No. No. Let's keep reading. What's the purpose for this separation? Why does he not want them with them? Verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me. Oh. Oh. To serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. There's consequences for sin. Don't go there. Verse 5. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people. There's that holy people, holy seed. Holy, hey, coming together now, isn't it? You are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Come on. Does that give us some context as to why God wanted him to separate? Why? There it is. There it is. All right. So we've got the context. Now, if you go back, you can read the other passages. Feel free. Don't have time to go through them all. But if you look in the Exodus 34 passage, um, it says that, man, if you marry them, that they will prostitute um, themselves with their gods to you, and then you will have to. Then you will be tempted to prostitute yourself to their gods. I mean, that's deep, deep sin, right? Giving yourself away from God to a false god—that's what God didn't want to happen with His holy people. That's why He was calling them away from the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Gazumites, whatever you want to say, right? He's like, man, he's like, they're going to jack you up spiritually, all right? They're not worshiping me. They're going to lead you away from me, and I don't want that. It was the idol worship. It was their cultural disobedience to God. God says, stay away from that. So now we have the broad picture, and now we have even the picture of what Ezra happens here in this passage in chapter 9. When Ezra learns of the sin, what's his response? 
ah, it ain't no big deal. Or man, I, you know, if they, they've been in this sin so long that if I say something, they're, just, they're gonna throw rocks at me and kick me out. So I ain't gonna say nothing. Is that what he said? What does he do? He breaks down. His heart is broken over what? Sin, disobedience to God. That's why his heart's broke. And it says he does what? Tears his clothes, pulls out his hair. Now you know what happened to me, right? Just joking. And he says he was what? He was appalled. He was, it was just floored. It's, what do you mean? These people just came out of this. What do you mean they run back to this sin? They know where it leads. They know what it does. They know what God will do if they don't repent. They know. They know. So he was appalled, stupefied, astonished, all right? It's rare to find a person that's that taken over and cares for the hearts of people like that. Do you? It's rare. There's a few people that get burdened, like, like really remorseful over sin. I don't mean just get angry over sin where you want to call people names. and, and that, we, that, that's, we all do that. You know, just because somebody sins different than we do, we think that they're worse than us. Do you ever get appalled over your own sin? You should. Do you ever weep, mourn, and wail? We'll have a passage that tells us we should here at the end. So here Ezra is. He is weeping, basically. He is torn over the people deviating from God and his word, all right? If you look down the road, we know that Nehemiah will come on the scene here later to lead the third kind of exile into Jerusalem to rebuild the the city and the walls. He's going to be confronted with the same situation. The people still some of the, not all these people obeyed Ezra, evidently. Some of them still chose sin. Nehemiah is going to have to deal with it when he comes on. So he pleads to him. He's going to handle it just a little differently than Ezra did. Nehemiah comes in, and the word of God says, you can look it up in Nehemiah 13. It says that he basically rebuked them, called down curses on them, beat some of them, and pulled the hair out of their beard and head. That doesn't sound very pastor-like, does it? (laughs) And maybe it wasn't. But extreme sin and disobedience sometimes means taking extreme measures. That's the extreme measures we see here in Ezra, the extreme measures that Nehemiah took against those people that were stubborn in their disobedience to God. And then Ezra says, if you read the rest of chapter 9, you're basically going to see this prayer that, that Ezra calls out to God in anguish. You can read that on your own, but we see the posture that he does it in. He falls on his knees. He spreads out his hands, weeping and crying out to God in, in a head-down posture. The Bible says, he said, man, I, I'm, I'm so humiliated, I can't even look up at you, Lord. You ever felt like that about your own sin? Where you're so repentant, you're so remorseful, where all you can do is say, God, I've messed up, and, and Lord... I'm not even worthy to be in your presence, and I don't even feel like I can look up. That's how broken we should be over sin, guys. Sin of of, of others, sin in our family, and sin of ourself. But then God doesn't want to just leave us there, because that could actually lead to depression. God wants to lift us up out of that and set us on a new path 
all right, where it gives us joy, hope, and the abundant life, okay? So there's, there's the, the message of, a, of the gospel in a nutshell, but we must first be broken over our sin before God can do anything with you or me. We have to be, have to be. So Ezra's appalled. What are they going to do? This is where we get into chapter 10 here. What are they going to do about this? And I want to tell you here before we dive in, this is where there becomes a lot of theological confusion and a lot of bad teaching, okay, and things that aren't taught well because people don't go back to the context, which we just took the time to dig out, okay? So if you're not careful, this is what you can do with God's Word. You can just read it sometimes at face value. Some things speak through face value. Some things are a little deeper where face value is not really quite what it's saying, okay? That there's context, there's meaning behind it. This is one of those scenarios. If you take this at face value of chapter 10, you would all of a sudden think that God's okay with divorce. You might think that, hey man, just marrying somebody from a, a different nationality, God, God detests that and it's sin. It goes back to what we just brought up the context and in its seed, okay? And we'll look at this other stuff. So what we cannot do in God's word is just cherry pick passages. We can't. We can't just take something out, especially something that might be a little fuzzy and we don't completely understand. And we say, well, well it just says that. So we hang our, our whole theolo theological hat on it and our life on it. And we say, thus saith the Lord. When maybe it's not, thus saith the Lord. Okay? So we need the context. Context is king. That's why we dug that out. Okay? And here's what we need to know as we study God's word. God wants us to be a student of God's word and to study his word. So when we have confusion on, an, on a certain passage or a certain topic, what should we do? Go to other scripture. Scripture always supports scripture, guys. Use scripture to interpret scripture, okay? Yes, there's great theological people in the world, but if you go to only human understanding alone, you will be misled. I don't care how many degrees the dude has, okay? It doesn't matter. Human understanding's okay. It may help God, but if it goes against what God's word says, it's wrong, okay? We always go back to God's word. God's word is inerrant. There are no mistakes. There are no gray areas. God is not the author of confusion, okay? Let Scripture support Scripture. So let's read our passage in chapter 10. Then we'll pick a few things up out of it from other passages in God's Word. And then we'll wrap this all together for our applicable message, right? We'll have head knowledge now. How do we apply it? All right? So let's read. Go back to Ezra with me. And we'll go back to Ezra chapter 10. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. Ezra chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. So after Ezra prays this prayer at the end of chapter 9, people gather around him. They're weeping. They're talking about what we should do. They give him an idea. All right, Ezra goes with it. Here we go, chapter 10. We're going to get the context out of this too. Then Ezra, the priest, stood up and said to them, all right, they've gathered all the people in. They've brought them in. Say, if you can't be here in three days, man, you're going to be cut off, all right? So three days, they come all into Jerusalem. Ezra stands up in front of everybody, everybody, okay? He ain't just talking to a few people that might receive it that he knows, hey, this guy's maybe a little on the fence. No, he's talking to everybody. Is he taking a big chance to, to be stoned? Mm-hmm. Here's what he says. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Somebody say, do his will. 
And then separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Verse 12, then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, yes, as you have said, so we must do. You've got to be kidding me. He just stood up in front of everybody, spoke God's word that was in direct contradiction to how they were living their lives. That's a bold preacher, isn't it? Boy, we need more of that today. Not looking to be popular, just looking to present what God already said, not his opinion. Here's what God says, all right? So, again, as we look at this, some confusion, some misinterpretation, a lot of false and bad teaching around it, but ultimately we don't have time to go through all that. We just know that other passages will give specific direction and context to marriage and divorce that are in the Bible. We don't take this passage alone and hang our hat on what God thinks about divorce and marriage, okay? There's other passages that we look to to give clarity, all right? Some of the clarity, and and going back to the context, was already given in chapter 6, verse 21, where the people were coming and making a sacrifice and having the meal, and it says the exiles sat down, and even some of the people joined them that were non-exiles, the ones who had set themselves apart. Again, going back to the heart, the ones who had said, hey, I'm not going to worship these idols. I'm going to worship God. They came and, take, and took part with the Israelites in that sacrifice and in that meal. All right? So it's going back to the heart. So Ezra here is concerned for what? The spiritual purity of God's people. Let's keep that context and passage. He doesn't all of a sudden discount what he came to do, and that's bring the, the, the God's word and build people. He doesn't discount that, and all of a sudden just care about who you're married to it's not that it's caring about the spiritual purity of God's people he's caring about their heart okay and he takes drastic steps different than even some passages if you even go to Malachi talking to essentially same group of people and some of their descendants years down the road Malachi says hey same thing same issue same problem you guys have have man you've mixed yourself with pagan wives and 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 idolatry and and all that and and there's consequences for the sin but then in in chapter 2 and 13 to 14 he encourages the people in general to not divorce all right this says that God hates divorce okay so we start to get some more kind of context and, and different things going on here but let's go specifically to Jesus's words we know that, that God ordained marriage and, and back from the beginning in Genesis and said the two will be united and will become what? One flesh. All right? And then Mark says what God has joined together, let what? Let no one separate. Okay? All right? So God's not in for divorce. All right? That's not what Ezra's about. Again, it's going back to context about that holy seed. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus speaking. It says, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except everybody say except except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery all right so there we have it god's word divorce only in infidelity okay there's one other thing we can look at paul in first corinthians chapter 7 is telling people in marriage say hey if you're married with a unbeliever still refrain from divorce in other words you shouldn't leave them as long as they're willing to live with you don't divorce okay but this is what he says in in uh in chapter 7 he says but if they leave you abandon you divorce you then you're not bound okay so 
there's the context and there's the, there's the truth on divorce. Only two times divorce is okay in God's eyes. He says it. Adultery, that's the only reason you divorce. And then somebody, some people would say, well, why didn't Jesus bring up what Paul said? Because Jesus was saying the reason why you can call for divorce. It doesn't mean you even have to. Forgiveness can come even after adultery is taking place. And, and what more way to show the forgiveness and, and the grace and mercy of God than, than to extend that, if that's possible. Sometimes it's not. All right? But that's the only reason we can divorce. But then Paul is saying if somebody divorces you because they're unsaved, all right? If they leave you, then, then you're not bound. Got it? Okay? So Jesus didn't mess up, all right? It's, it's a different context. It's somebody else now divorcing you because they're unsaved, okay? Even following up on what Paul said, to not leave the unbelieving spouse, 1 Peter 3 gives um, godly wives wisdom saying that to live godly in front of your unbelieving husband so that they what? They may be won over without words by your what? Behavior, by your walk with Jesus, that they can see Christ in you and that they may come to the faith because of how you lived your life in front of them. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful of God's word. Other questions people have, we don't have time to get into all the ends, if, ands, or buts, but some people would say, what about in, in situations of abuse and stuff? What can you do there? Well, obviously, I, as a minister and presenter of God's word, cannot tell you that divorce is okay in that situation because the Bible doesn't say that, okay? But what I can tell you is God doesn't want you to live in a situation where you're getting beat physically, sexually, verbally. There's times where you may have to separate, Okay. Leave, get your family, your kids in a safe environment, but not divorce. Pray for that spouse. Maybe God some way, somehow will speak and move and change them. But biblically, there is no authorization for divorce. Separation, get yourself safe, yes, all right? Moving on, back to the context of this application. I felt it was worth taking time, though, to explain a little bit about divorce since the elephant was in the room, you know what I'm saying? So we wanted to go back and say what God said about it, and that's what we just did, okay? So now back to the context of our application. What does God really want these people to be divorced from? Sin, idolatry. He wants them to, to separate from the world, not just the, the women. Context. So here's our application. What does God want us to separate from? Mm. He wants us to divorce from it. To completely separate, break ties with the world, with sin. He wants us to still be in the world because we're to be the gospel. We're to, to share the word. We're to be a light. and We're to be salt and light. We're to be his ambassadors. We're in the world, but we sure are not of the world, baby. That's the difference. That's what God wants. Here's our context, guys. Separate ourselves from sin and worldliness and even the tolerance of sin and worldliness, like maybe some of them were doing. Because sin destroys, just like we talked about infection. And if we ignore its significance, all we do is fuel its power and potential to destroy our lives and other people around us. That's what sin does. So, so let's get this context out of this passage here. All right, what does Ezra do? He stands up and speaks to them. What does he speak to them? God's word. So what does he have to do when he stands up? He confronts them. Then he what? Presents God's word so it does what? Convicts them that they're wrong, right? 
So let's look at those first two parts because before we ever get to repentance and what repentance is and what it looks like, we first have to be confronted in our sin. We have to. If we're never confronted in our sin, we will never be convicted of our sin. If we're never convicted of our sin, we will never confess our sin. If we never confess our sin, there's no way we can repent of our sin. And if we never repent of our sin, we're still in our sin. You've got to be confronted. So now look at the church of America and across the world that doesn't want to preach on God's word anymore and confront people in their sin. What do you think is going to happen? think it's okay that I can have my sin in Jesus too. False gospel, right? Yes, we're all still sinners. Yes, we're all messed up. But when God changes your heart, you're not going to make excuses for it and want to live in it anymore, okay? There's the difference. We're going to mess up, but we ain't going to be happy about it. And God's not going to let us be happy about it. So we see the context and we love passages that, that bring truth into this. We love 1 John 1, 9, so if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that, amen? amen. That through Jesus, we can have forgiveness, that we can, we can be restored, renewed, that it's not just bad, bad, bad. That's not what God wants to do. He wants to convict and pick us up out of the mud, out of the quicksand that's gonna kill and smother us and set us up on dry ground. The solid rock foundation of Jesus is what that dry ground is. That's where God wants you. So we look now, and I'm going to speed forward because I want to close up in time. I'm going to skip a few things, and I'm going to go forward to this. If we look in this passage, what's the next? So after Ezra steps up, he confronts, he convicts with God's word, not his own. Now what happens? He moves them to now what? Make confession to the Lord God of your fathers, all right? So there's the confrontation, conviction. Now, hey, that's not enough that I just said it to you. You've got to realize it, understand it, and now confess it back to God that, hey, that I've messed up, that I've fallen short of your glory, that I've broken your word and what you would have me do. And then what? He's not done yet. Then he says what? And do his will. There's a big one right there. Because now, now we're talking about repentance. Now we're talking about turning away from our sin. Because some people just think, eh, it's good enough. I know what God's word says. I was confronted in it. I confessed it. But deep down in my heart, I know I plan on doing it again next weekend. I saw that in college my whole life. People go and confess. And I'm be like, man, what, are you not going to do that next weekend? Oh, no, I'm going back to the party. You know what I'm saying? I just confessed and got it right so I can do it again next week. Is that your heart? That's not what God wants. Paul says we should not be a slave to sin anymore. God comes to set us free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin, the bondage of sin, but never free to sin. All right? Your ticket in Christ is not a ticket to sin and a get out of hell free car where you can just live life like you want now. That's not the gospel. All right? Ezra even moved his people. Now do his will now that you've confessed. What is that? That's obedience. That's action. That's the second part of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go for there, what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what? Teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. Man, here's the key though. You and I don't have the strength on our own to obey God's word. We need what? We need God. We need the spirit of the holy God in us to even have the possibility to walk in obedience. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to know about him. It's one thing to believe in him, 
It's a whole different thing to follow him. It's a whole different thing to do his will. There's the difference. There's the separation. And it goes back to the heart, all right? Because the right heart couples confession with repentance, okay? And that's doing his will. That's turning to God's will and not our own. Turning away from ourself is repentance. And it's necessary for true authentic salvation. It was the message all through Acts and through John the Baptist. Repent, right? Repent, repent. What's that? We're explaining it. It's a beautiful, this is why, because it's not explained thoroughly, a lot of people get confused on what repentance is and what true salvation really looks like. Because yes, God's grace and mercy is free at the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn it. By faith we're saved, not through works so that no one can boast, right? But at the same time, God's grace is free, but it's not cheap, all right? Cheap grace says you don't have to repent to get it. But I'm going to tell you, God's grace and mercy, everybody loves to talk about God's grace and mercy and praise God for it because that's who he is. But it's only available through repentance. Have you repented? Do you have a repentant heart? Ezra was pushing the people to repentance. What gets in the way of that? Why would we not want to repent? Pride. The ultimate sin, the sin that causes every other sin, essentially, right? It's the sin of, God, I don't want to do life your way. I want to do it my way. That's the attitude of sin because sin's more than just the things we do. Sin's an attitude of saying, God, I don't want to listen to you. I just don't. Sorry. I'm going to live my life for me. I'll take some of that grace and mercy stuff if you want to give it to me, but I am not walking in obedience. I'm not doing your will. I'm not doing it. I'm not separating myself from the world because I love the world too much. That is not salvation. It's not. You've fallen for a false gospel if you believe that. James 4, 6 through 10 says, but he gives more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That's what you need to do over your sin. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's some truth from scripture. These people did that because then Ezra moves from, hey, do God's will, then he's not done. He says, separate yourselves. Have you separated yourself from the world? Have you? Or do you just try to live in the world and look like the world and just claim Jesus too? God's call is for us to be set apart, to be different. That's sanctification. And it's done through the same power. His spirit that saves us is the same power that sanctifies us justification and sanctification we cannot take credit for any of it it's through christ alone and through his spirit have you surrendered to that god wants to work in your life very clear scripture he opposes the proud pride says ah my sin's not as bad as somebody else's sin so i'm good that was just a little small lie that wasn't that big of a deal that's that's pride That's not weep mourning and wailing over your sin. I don't care how small it is. That's the Bible's call to it. Like Ezra did in in just falling down and seeking God. And now this move toward repentance and separation from the world. I read one passage to close us up. And it talks about kind of linking everything together where the Bible says don't be yoked with unbelievers. Let's read that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18 as we close up. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Boy, that's what God's calling everybody to do in Ezra, isn't it? For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, ready for separation? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. There's some truth right there. What is yoked? We got to get this. We'll put a picture up on the screen. It's talking about oxen. The yoke would connect two oxen together for the purpose of working in the field and plowing. So the two need to move in unison. Then there's horsepower, baby, right? They're together. But if one's trying to go one direction and one's going the other direction, that's unequally yoked. They're not getting anything done. And everything's going to get messed up. There's God's picture. And it's more than just, yeah, unequally yoked. There's, there's application in that, obviously, for marriage and, and dating. We shouldn't be with unbelievers. That, that's it right there. It says it. But then also, we need to be separate. We need to come out from the world. It says, don't touch these unclean things. Do we have a desire to live godly amongst a nation that's going the wrong direction? That's what it gets boiled down to. God will put that desire in your heart. If you're truly in him, he has put that desire in your heart. You may be trying to, to kick against the goads, right, and resist that, but God is moving in your heart. Will you just surrender to it today and just say, like Ezra was telling these people, hey, man, just say, you messed up. Confess it. Do God's will and be separate. There's our message today in our context. That's what repentance is and what it looks like. It starts with confrontation through God's word. Being confronted in God's word, then being convicted through it, healthy conviction through the spirit, not condemnation. That's from the enemy that says you're a bad person, that you're worthless, that you'll, you're a mistake and God can never use you. That's condemnation. That's not of the father. That's of the enemy. God's conviction is healthy. It wants to lead you into a healthier, better life. Well, you, why wouldn't you want that? That's what Ezra's calling to these people today. Why wouldn't you want what God has? So then out of that, there's confession. And then there's doing his will and being separate. It's a three sets of three heavy lifting attack. Three sets of three, three sets of three words. One, say I'm wrong. I am wrong. Boy, that's a mouthful for a lot of people, isn't it? Because pride doesn't want us to say that. But, 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 but it's not as bad as, a, 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 no, you're wrong. I'm wrong. Just say I'm wrong. Those are three words you'll never hear Satan say. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like him. Just say I'm wrong, God. I messed up. Second set of three. Please forgive me. You can't get forgiveness on your own by doing good works. It's only through Christ. That's confession. And that's humility, showing humility before a holy God that I've fallen short of your glory. Please forgive me for where I've come against you. The third set of three is please help me. There's the move for repentance and separation because you can't do that on your own. 
You need Christ to do that. The strength of his word and the strength of his spirit living in you so that you can not gratify the desires of the flesh only by living by the spirit, right? So you say, please help me. So you got, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Please help me. I don't want to live like this anymore against your word. That's repentance. Guys, if we cannot be corrected without getting offended, then we will never truly grow in anything, but especially in our spiritual walk. Allow yourself to be corrected. These people did, at least some of them. Some of them yelled out, yes, you're right. We need to do what you said. Like, what? You mean there's some people that actually said that? Man, how much we have changed because anytime we confront people in their sin, I don't know about you, but most times I'm lucky if they don't try to murder me. And then somehow they flip it around and make me look like I'm wrong. Boy, how prideful in a generation we've become. Allow ourselves to be confronted in our sin. And if somebody calls it out, if they do it in the right heart, in the right way, and they've gone and got the plank out of their own eye, then they can go help you. Yes, they're not judging you. They're trying to help you out of sin. Receive it. Like these people did from Ezra. Christians will never be the salt of the earth and the light and ambassadors if we keep sugarcoating the gospel and tolerating churches and pastors that only preach parts of God's word that are comfortable and make everybody happy because then nobody will ever be confronted in their walk against the Lord. It's not enough just to believe or know. The question is, where's your heart? Have you repented enough to be changed? God wants to do that work in your life. He wants to do something radical and set you on a path that the world can't give. Doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory and beautiful. It might get a little harder, but there's peace in the midst of the storm that the world can't give. Will you have that today? Ezra's calling these people to get it right. I believe God's calling us today in this application, in this context, to get it right, to repent, to separate ourselves from the world and from the sin that so easily entangles so that we can now run the race with endurance that God has set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Will you walk in that victory today? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I want to know if there's anybody here today that might just say, just admit to God. God, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Please help me. Would you do that today? Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you need to receive him. Surrender your life in repentance to him. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you believe that you've never truly surrendered. Would you do that today? Or if you're here today and you might say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors. I've There was a time in my life I was on fire for the Lord, but lately I've deviated, I've walked away, and I want to come running back in repentance to the Father today, falling on my knees before a holy God at the foot of the cross and just admitting to Him that I've been doing it wrong lately, and I want to get it right. If that's you and you want to rededicate your life back to Him, I want to invite you 
to speak these same words from your heart to God's heart right now, knowing that it's not the words that save you, it's with the heart that you believe and are justified. Will you surrender your life to Jesus today for the first time or to rededicate? Just say, dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner, that I'm wrong, and that I'm in need of you, my Savior, which means I need your forgiveness and I need your help. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to die on a cross, that I could now have a chance to have forgiveness of my sin, that I could be redeemed, restored, and renewed only through his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God. And Lord, that he walks in victory right now over hell, death, sin, and the grave. And Lord, I want to walk in that same victory right now. Lord, I need it in my life because I want to do your will and I want to be separate from the world. So Father, my commitment to you is right now from this day forward, every step I take and every breath I make will be for your glory and your glory alone. I surrender all. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that from your heart to God's heart, you meant business with him for the first time or to rededicate your life, would you just boldly and unashamed raise your hand and say, Brad, I meant business with God today. I spoke that to Jesus and I need prayer. Amen. Amen. Impact Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his word and what he does through his word, that he changes hearts, lives, and draws us closer to him. So, but then like we say each week, let's take this word, let's meditate on it, and let's go make an impact for Jesus with it this week. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.